Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. When our daughter Kate was very small, she hated opening presents on Christmas morning because she loved opening presents on Christmas morning so much. This may sound like a Zen koan, which only the most insufferable sorts of Christian preachers resort to, but it's not. There was a very comprehensible logic to Kate's response. She simply realized that as soon as the presents were opened, she would find herself in that moment when the next Christmas morning is farthest away. It may sound like Constantine Cavafy was arguing against what Kate was feeling when he wrote, As you set out for Ithaca, hope your road is a long one. But I don't think he was. Ithaca, you might recall, was the home of Odysseus, the island where his faithful Penelope waited 20 years for him to return from the Trojan War. Cavafy said, we should hope the road home is a long one because so many adventures, so many stories happen along that way. But embedded in his hope is the deep draw home makes on our hearts, whatever or wherever you think your true home may be. We wouldn't have to be told to hope for a long road if we naturally wanted the road home to be a long one, would we? And could we survive the call of sirens or attack of a cyclops if we weren't longing so intensely to get back home. I like to think Cavafy was writing to little Kate, affirming her feeling of being so far away from next Christmas, which surely must be an archetype of home for a child, if not for every last one of us. But the old Greek poet was also counseling her gently that great adventures await her on the long road home to next Christmas. Maybe you missed the mention of it in our strange and difficult gospel reading today. Maybe you're still squirming a bit at the last line about not serving God and wealth, hoping the preacher will either explain that part away or ignore it altogether. Especially since just a few weeks ago and a couple of chapters back in Luke, we heard Jesus say that none of you can become my disciple if you don't give up all your possessions. Oof. Feels a long way from Christmas right now, doesn't it? But did you notice that the strange parable about the manager who squandered his master's property was also about the need we all have for a home? Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, Jesus says, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal home. The energy that drives the parable is the manager's anxiety about finding himself homeless when his master discovers he hasn't been managing things very well at all, isn't it? All right, there's plenty to unpack in what we just read today. But I think something even fuller emerges when we take a couple steps back and see the story's context in Luke. Because do you know what line immediately precedes today's reading? It's this one. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. That's the end of Luke 15. And then chapter 16 begins, Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. Chapter 15 ends with the only homecoming story that might be even better known than the Odyssey, the parable of the prodigal son. Or rather, as more than one interpreter says, it ought to be titled, The Parable of the Forgiving Father. So what happens when we lay these two stories side by side, just as they come to us in Luke? Well, the first thing to say is that they both affirm a deep human longing for home. They both also affirm that we can often, we can find ourselves feeling very far from home, and sometimes it's because of our own doings. We find ourselves caught making destructive choices that alienate us from the ones who would love to love us. We cut ourselves off, whether whether in small ways with a sharp word or in those deeper and more damaging ways that might even cause us to wonder whether there's a viable way back home at all from where we found ourselves today. The story of the prodigal, of course, is actually a story about two brothers. And the last line spoken is to the one who never wandered off, right? but the one who finds himself cut completely off from the celebration at hand because of his own resentments about the inherent unfairness of grace. You do realize that grace is not fair. It's not grace if it's fair, right? A world in which everyone gets precisely what they deserve is a world in which grace is entirely absent. It's also a world that runs more like a factory than a homecoming banquet. What the older brother shows us is that you can seem to never have left home at all and still find yourself even farther away from the Father's open, forgiving, welcoming arms than your wayward brother who was just yesterday envying the slop he'd given to the pigs whose sty he'd been tending. But back to today's parable. It also explores this deep human need for home, even for someone who's just made a mess of his life. And I know, now you're thinking, oh good, he's not going to say the Gospels about money after all, but it is. It's about money. It's very much about whom and what we serve, and the utter incompatibility of serving God and money. But serving God means one simple, astonishing thing in this remarkable stretch of Luke's Gospel. Serving God means finding your true home in the arms of grace. In the offensively, patently, ridiculously unfair economy of grace. Not the fastidious, ever-calculating economy of wealth. Because whether we believe it or not, our true home is a place where you will never have to earn your keep. Jesus does seem to say that even if you refuse to trust the foolishness of God's economy, you're still going to have to find home somewhere, somehow. It's a longing embedded too deeply just to wish away. So he says, if you're going to live in the realm of money, go ahead and make friends for yourselves by means of that money. You're going to need some kind of a home. 
You're going to need someone to welcome you when the going gets hard. The hard truth, though, is that we really can't live in both economies at once. And as long as I'm in a place or in a state of mind in which I have to prove myself, I am so far away from the economy of grace. Incidentally, I'm also so far away from myself. Because I don't know about you, but when I'm asked to prove myself, I always have a hunch it's somebody else they really want. So the self I set out to prove is a projection. The self I put forth is a false self I think the world really wants instead of me. And this is the definition of loneliness, is it not? It's the loneliness of the elder son simmering there in his resentments. It's the loneliness Jesus doesn't even want a grift and a swindler to have to live in forever. At least use your ill-gotten gains to make a friend who might welcome you into her home, he says. Even that's better than the self-righteous loneliness we're always just a few steps away from. Even if it's just as true, much truer actually, that we're always just a step away from the Father's unconditionally opened arms as well. Friends, money is the measure of worth in this world. And add one small letter to worth, and you've got worthy, which is what every last one of us needs something or someone to tell us that we are. This must be why Jesus said in all sorts of stories and parables and in blunt, uncompromising statements that he never wants us to accept wealth as a measure of our worth. Never let your worth or your worthiness be measured in money, he says. Because you can't serve God in wealth. I can't serve God in wealth. Which is to say we can't live simultaneously in the economy of performance and judgment and money and God's economy of grace and gift. Where forgiveness and exception are not rewards for your righteous living, Grace and gift are the very fuel for our broken down spirits in the midst of whatever mess we find ourselves in today. And truthfully, I'm not even sure it matters much whether the mess is mostly our own doing or mostly the doing of a world that runs on the liquid nitrogen of that old human fear of not measuring up in the eyes of whoever we perceive our masters to be. The fear that if and when we actually do get home, We'll just be asked there what makes us think we're worthy of welcome. Friends, if you take nothing else from this sermon, please take this. If you think that conditional welcome is what awaits you when you meet the one who made you, if you think God is just another performance evaluator, but on a cosmic scale, well, if Jesus is right, you're wrong. That's the heart of the Christian good news. If you think God's moral economy is just an ultimate version of the money economy that distorts our imaginations all day, every day of our lives, the best news I can pass along from these stories is that if Jesus is right, we're dead wrong about the nature of God. And we're wrong about our deepest, truest selves as well. Every part of myself that I give over to be judged worthy or unworthy by the measures of this world is a part of myself that refuses to make a home in the wide open arms of God's grace. Why, Jesus asks us, why do we keep letting our longing for home be co-opted by this world of money 
and wealth, and then used to lead us away from the unconditional grace we were made to live securely within. There's a longing for home in every human heart that ever was. We need to come to terms with the truth that this longing will not go away. And friends, it's not just a matter of self-help, self-help for our individual souls. This longing for hope that's been shaped by a hopeless, violent, unjust world will keep looking for a place where it will be accepted and affirmed no matter how distorted and destruction the terms of acceptance in that false home may be. But the invitation to each of us and to all of us is that grace is real and that grace is who God is. That if we make God's grace the true north by which we travel, untold wonders Life-saving encounters await us on the way, on the road toward the home that our longings were truly made for. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.